Uh, let's ask God to help us with his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we pray in your mercy we would know the encouragement of the scriptures today uh, to keep on running the race of faith. Help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly and help us all to understand it and to receive it with faith, the faith that knows that this is your word uh, to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're all familiar with races, aren't we? Running races, horse races, cycle races. Some are sprints, some longer distances, and some are marathons. And every race has a beginning, a start line, a middle, and an end, the finish line. And of course there is time between the start and the finish. Not even Hussein Bolt arrives the second, he leaves the blocks. And in the marathons or the grand tours, if you're into cycling, uh, that middle, that time can be pretty gruelling. In a marathon, it's just wearing, isn't it? Step after step with nothing much happening and the end nowhere in sight, the end as yet unseen. And so it's easier in those times to be become discouraged, exhausted, to lose heart and give up. And some do. It's true, isn't it? Not all who start a marathon make it to the end, take this year's tour. Whether it's crashing out or missing the time cut or sheer exhaustion, not all who start uh, will finish. Therefore, says our author, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Christian life, says our author, is like a race. There's a race set before us, a track, a course laid out already, and we need to run this race to the end. Uh, we haven't set the course, God has done that, and that in itself is an encouragement. It means that this race of faith will get us to God's goal, the finish that God has appointed for us, the new heaven and earth. Running the race of faith, the course set by God, will get us there. And like any race, the Christian race has a start, a middle and an end, and that middle can be pretty tiring. And our author, God himself, remember, wants to give us encouragement for that middle time when the finish is yet unseen, encouragement to help us run well so that we run to finish, run in such a way as we'll see in verse 13 that we actually get stronger as the race goes on. He wants us to help to run, he says, with endurance, that is the determination, the grit that doesn't give up but makes it to the end no matter how long the course, how steep the mountains, how hot the day. This is encouragement and instruction from your God to help you complete the race and gain the prize. In these first 17 chapters of uh, 17 verses of chapter 12 that we're actually going to look at over a couple of weeks, our author tells us how to keep on running the race and run it well. Firstly, he says, verses 2 to 3, fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Secondly, verses 4 to 11, by remembering that even in hardship you are being treated as sons. And then thirdly, in verses 12 to 17, by encouraging us to choose the right course, to choose for ourselves the path that God has chosen. And so avoiding those dead ends that will never get you to your goal. We're only going to look at the first today, verses 1 to 3, and then verses 4 to 17, probably next week. Uh, Embrace what is written here as God's provision to you. Whether you're weary or well, limping along or sprinting, embrace it as God's provision to help you run the race of faith well. And he starts by reminding us of the impact, the encouragement of the lives of the Old Testament believers who went before us, that great cloud of witnesses. Uh, The recounting of their lives was always meant to encourage our endurance. Endurance, we were told way back in chapter 10 before we started looking at the lives of the Old Testament saints, would be needed if we're going to come to what is promised us in the gospel. Remember back in chapter 10, having recalled the opposition and suffering they had already endured for confessing Jesus, he'd said at the end of the chapter, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He, we are not of those, said our author, who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's already told us we need endurance. The persevering faith is the way to life. And then he took us in chapter 11 through a portrait gallery of those who had had faith in the past, who hadn't shrunk back. But now in chapter 12, he brings us back to our own race and our own need of endurance. But as he does, he wants us to consciously recall what we have learned of faith, of how good the goal of faith, of the promise is, and the power and effectiveness of faith in the true and living God to bring us to fulfilment of the promise. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. They're a cloud, a a multitude, people who witness, bear testimony by their lives of faith to the worth of the promise of God and God's faithfulness to his promise and who by that testimony have now become our supporters, our encouragers to persevere in the faith, surrounding us as it were with their refreshing testimony. And the testimony of the saints in chapter 11 was refreshing. Remember what we've learned from them. We learned so with Abel that faith justifies, makes you right with God. With Enoch, that the faith which seeks God is rewarded by God. With Noah, that the faith that acts on the warning God gives spares you from judgment. Oh, we've learned from Abraham that what is promised to faith is worth everything, giving up all to obtain It's worth leaving all for. We've seen with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that what is promised to faith, the heavenly city, is actually worth living as strangers and exiles in this life to attain. From Moses, that what is 
promise to faith, the reward of knowing the unseen God is worth suffering mistreatment for, that faith in the promise stops you from settling for second best, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Faith in the promise keeps you going until you come to the heavenly city. We've also learnt that faith will get you there, that faith keeps you acting like Joseph to the end in line with God's promises, that faith gives you the courage to obey God and not fear people, that faith obeys the improbable direction that God has given to bring you to what God has promised, to give you life. Oh yes, and we learnt from the unnamed suffering saints that faith endures hardship looking for the better resurrection. Faith in the faithful God, these witnesses cry out, will get you there, bring you to what he has promised to faith which is worth everything. What is promised to faith? Eternal life and peace as God's people in God's presence. And so says our author, hearing in a sense the testimony of this great cloud, get going and keep going in the race of faith. And listening to their witness, well, tells you to start the race the way any athlete would start a race. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. No serious athlete carries extra weight into the race. Could you imagine a competitor in the 42 kilometres of the Melbourne Marathon on the start line saying, wait, wait, don't stay yet, I've forgotten something. Oh, it's my backpack with my 20 kilogram weights. You wouldn't even want an extra 500 grams in that race. Do you know, Wednesday's stage of the tour, it might have been Tuesday nights, you know, as he was coming to do some serious climbing, I saw Nairo Quintana, who actually won the stage, pouring water out of his water bottle as he's coming to the serious part of the climb, just to cut down the weight. But he kept some, he was conservative. The others just flew, threw their water bottles away. If you're serious about finishing, you don't carry extra weight. And no serious athlete would run with what clings and ensnares, you know, with the laces undone or the feet entangled in a streamer. It wouldn't run with anything that could trip her up. So says our author, be serious from the start about competing to finish. Toss out the weights. You know, those things that may not be wrong in themselves but take away your time and energy from following Jesus. It may be some kind of hobby that stops you from getting to church or an interest so consuming that you don't read your Bible or grow in knowledge of God's will or that leaves you with no time to serve. You know, the hours you spend playing innocent computer games. I, I put that in for the young. Uh, okay, I just, you know, for those of you, some, some of you will be able to relate. I couldn't imagine it, actually, but anyhow... You know, but that friendship or an ambition, whereas, of course, watching the Tour de France, I just want you to know that that's, that's entirely... Yeah. Right, OK. Or that second house that actually stakes you away, stops you from fellowship. Throw out, he says, those weights and get rid of the sins. You know, the things you know God says are wrong. Harbouring the bitterness, watching the porn, nursing envy, indulging those angry outbursts that keep on 
tripping you up as a follower of Jesus and just draining your energy, leaving you bruised, making you want to stop. Sin will always hamper our run. And so from the outset, say no. They have no place in my running the race of faith. Get rid of those things, he says, and then resolve to run well with determination, with endurance. But even when you get rid of the weights, the run can still be tough, can't it? Stuff happens. You encounter opposition. You lose your job. You have an injury or an illness. Those close to you become unwell. It can become tough. So how do you keep running well? Well, he says, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do you run well? Firstly, he says, look to Jesus. He's calling you to focus on Jesus. <laughs> the athletic analogy has changed a little from a marathon, in a sense, to a sprint with the tape in sight. It's as if Jesus is already at the finish line waiting for us and to keep us running well, not deviating from our course, but every step getting closer to our goal, he says, focus on Jesus. Have your minds fixed on him. I mean, that's what good runners do, isn't it? They concentrate on that finish line, the tape. They don't look around. They don't look back. They focus. So, believers, you and I should always have in our minds the truth about Jesus. What we have already been told about Jesus in the book thus far. The truth about Jesus that helps us run well. What's that truth? Well, firstly, it says he is the founder of, it says our faith, but it's actually the founder of the faith. Now, our author has already told us that way back in chapter 2. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, that's God, in bringing many, many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. Founder or author or pioneer, the sense of the word, is that Jesus is the one who's created the faith. He's like a trailblazer, a pathfinder. He is the one who has brought into being the path to perfection, that is, the pathway to living in the presence of God in the new heaven and earth, the path to the realisation of all that God has promised his people. Jesus is the one who has gone there ahead of us to bring us there. And he is this through suffering. He got there through suffering and in his suffering he has become the one who can get us there. By death, He's the one who has defeated, the one who had the power of death, the devil, to free us from ever, from the fear of death. And by death he has already entered, it says, behind the veil, into God's very presence, our forerunner, the one we follow, to bring us into God's presence. Keeping your eye on Jesus, the founder of the faith, assures you 
that there is a way to the fulfilment of the promise. It's not empty. He's gone there. And it was through suffering, entrusting, obedience to his Father, enduring, doing his will, that brought Jesus to the Father's presence. Keeping your eyes on Jesus tells you suffering, entrusting, obedience to God for confessing Jesus is not a suggestion that you've somehow missed the way, got the Christian life wrong. It's confirmation that you're following in the steps of the one who has blazed the trail to eternal life ahead of you. And says our author, Jesus is the perfecter of faith. He brings faith to its goal. He enables those who hold fast to faith in him to come to faith's goal. Life in the heavenly city, whose builder and maker is God, life in God's presence at peace with him. How does Jesus do that? Well, because he held fast to faith himself, trusting his Father and saying, not my will but yours be done in the garden. Jesus has become our perfect high priest, the source of an eternal salvation, one who has been made perfect, just right for the job of saving us because he learned obedience through what he suffered one who is now that source of eternal salvation, one who can always save because he remains a high priest forever, the one who can perfect for all time those who draw near to God through him, the one who through the sacrifice of himself perfects for all time his people, his faithful one. And that's not just us believers in the gospel. Jesus is the one who brings the faith of those Old Testament saints to its goal, the one through whom God provides the something better that perfects all who have or have had faith in the living God. Looking to Jesus, the perfecter of faith, even when you have the occasional slip, you know, when your running's not as good as it could be because you're distracted, when you lose your rhythm, you know, looking to Jesus, the perfecter of faith, that in trusting him, keeping on having faith in him, he will get you there. Oh, you need to know that because you won't be perfect and your faith won't be perfect. In fact, there will be times when you'll be so painfully aware of that, slipped up in sin again, discouraging times. But the perfected saviour, will perfect your imperfect faith and bring you to the goal he has promised to your faith by the effectiveness of his offering of himself on the cross once for all. What an encouragement to endure there is in keeping the truth about Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, in our minds always. Jesus knows the way. He's run the course. He's gone before us. And by his work, he has made sure that you trusting him will get there. And the Jesus on whom we keep our eyes, our author tells us, is alive and able to help the one to whom we look because he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This Jesus reigns. Jesus is the Son, the Eternal Son, the Lord of Psalm 110, as our author has told us repeatedly. Yet he suffered. 
Suffering was the way the Father brought the Son to glory and the path of obedient suffering is vindicated in God's exaltation of Jesus. Enduring doing the will of God is the way he brings his children to what he has promised, the joy of peace with him. And Jesus' exaltation is a reminder of what we've already been taught of Jesus, that he is in the presence of the Father, where he intercedes for us so we can always draw near to the throne of grace with confidence to find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are to keep our eyes on the one who is always able to help us, for he has all authority and he always lives. In our race, help is always available, for there's one to whom we can always draw near to help, and he is always near. Now, all this our author's already taught us about Jesus, but as he calls us to endure, he wants us to recognise one other thing, that Jesus is the great example of endurance who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Or verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Our author emphasises that in Jesus we see the very thing endurance we need to finish the race, as well as assuring us, of course, by this that our Lord knows what we're going through when we meet opposition and hardship, that he is the one who can deal with our weariness sympathetically. Jesus, he said, endured the cross. We know that. But here he focuses not on the pain, but on the shame of the cross. And the cross was the most shameful punishment the Romans could inflict, hanging naked and helpless before all. And the cross in killing you meant that you could never rehabilitate your reputation dying on the cross you were shamed forever but Jesus despised the shame, it meant nothing to him it had no impact on his path or who he knew himself to be why? because on the cross he knew he was doing the will of his father and it was his father's valuation of his action, what God thought of what he was doing That mattered to Jesus. And so it was in and through the shame that his glory as the Son was revealed. His glory as the Son who is the Saviour of the world through his obedient suffering. John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you and he is glorified in his obedience to death. Now, some will want to make you feel shame in confessing Jesus as Lord. You know the things they say. You're breaking up our family. You're destroying our family reputation. You've embraced a view of sexuality that's judgmental and life-denying. I thought you were a reasonable person. How can you believe in creation? Oh, you're a disgrace in not hating our enemies. You're abandoning our values in associating in church with people from all sorts of backgrounds. And those accusations can hurt and burden us. Where we've been taught to put family above all or we crave the respect and approval of our friends and colleagues 
or taught to find identity in race. But Jesus despised the shame because he knew he was doing the will of the Father. And faith in Jesus allows you to despise the shame too. For it tells you that it is God's will, the creator God's will, that you honour his son by trusting him, confessing him Lord. And it is God's approval that matters, for he raises the dead. He has the last word. And it's from his work, his adoption of you as his child, his son, that you can take your eternal and secure identity, not from the approval of family or friends. It's because of God's approval that you can despise the shame and endure. And it says Jesus endured hostility against himself from sinners, those who had rejected the creator's God, creator God's rule over their lives. And that wasn't just in the last week of his life. That opposition went throughout his ministry. It started from the first time he preached in the synagogue in Nazareth when the audience decided they want to throw Jesus off the cliff. They were so offended by what he'd said. It was an opposition that was constant, full of hate and a determination to frustrate his mission, to shut him up, an opposition that climaxed in killing him. And of course it was widespread, the opposition of influential and respectable people, even the people who should have welcomed him. Jesus endured hostility. And you can endure hostility too for confessing Jesus. The first here is, we know endured hostility, didn't they? Back in chapter 10, slander, physical violence, imprisonment, loss of property. So far, of course, what we face is verbal and social, constant non-acceptance, exclusion, harassment, mocking and provoking, the ridiculing of our beliefs, misrepresentation, in a sense, never being able to feel at home, always being the odd one out, sometimes even in our own homes. And that kind of behaviour is just wearing, isn't it? It tires us out. It brings a weariness to our souls as we long just for peace, for acceptance. It's even greater, of course, that weariness when you have to flee your home or gather again those possessions that you lost so quickly after a lifetime, after a lifetime taken to accumulate them. But our author says, when you are growing weary, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. That is the antidote to weariness and faint-heartedness, to succumbing to the temptation to drop out of the race. Consider the outcome of his endurance, not shame, but glory. See the reversal of the world's verdict pronounced with such murderous hate in God's exaltation of Jesus and know that the world's verdict will be reversed on you by God raising you with his son. Oh, and consider Jesus' ability to help. He knows what it is to face shame and experience hostility. He lives with all authority in the presence of the Father. You can always draw near to him for sympathetic help. And consider what he became through his endurance the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the reigning Lord, 
the one who has gone before you, made the way for you, the one who will bring you there to the goal of faith, who perfects you by his death, who fits you for God's presence. And so, believer, do you meditate much on Jesus, on his life, what he endured, on his death, what it achieved, on the reality of his present reign and the truth of his promise that he will be with you always. Your Christian life, your faith marathon will be so much better, so more energised if you let Jesus grow big in your thinking. Not make Jesus big, he is big. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. No, if you gave him the space in your thinking, in your life, that his greatness demands and deserves. In considering Jesus, looking to him, you'll find truth that will clear away the fog of doubt and uncertainty about the path you're on, the path of faithful obedience to God in confessing his son. You'll find the assurance of victory when you feel defeated, of love when you feel alone, of help available just when you need it. And you'll find sympathy with your struggles. How can you keep on running well, running to the finish line, to the joy of welcome in your Saviour's embrace, the joy of being home in the heavenly city God has prepared for his faithful people? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. And realise that as the Son suffered to be faithful in your trial and hardship, God is treating you, brother or sister, as his son. But more of that next week. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, We pray for grace to do what your word commands. Help us to lay aside every weight and every sin that hinders our race, our race to the goal you've appointed, the new heaven and earth. And in your mercy, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance. In Jesus' name.